Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dr. Geneva Speaks. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. Geneva Speaks, where you'll hear amazing leaders from across the nation and around the world. Your host, Dr. Geneva Williams, a cutting-edge, transformational leadership coach, hopes and believes this show will enlighten, entertain, and inspire you to make a difference in the world. So listen up as Dr. Geneva Speaks. Well, hi there, everyone, and welcome, welcome again to another fabulous, fabulous conversation as we look into the heads and hearts of leaders and the greater purpose they inspire in others. And as you know, our show continues to feature conversations with top leaders for leaders as we explore the thinking of today's uh, presidents of nonprofits, CEOs of corporations, and just about chief of everything entrepreneurs who are really leading their market, their organization, and making an impact today in the community. And so we hope that this show ignites your soul and really has you look at life Uh, and leadership through an entirely different prism. We want you to discover the obstacles that leaders face, the failures they bounce back from, and really the personal stories behind each of these successful women and men. And we want you to learn what makes them tick and sometimes what ticks them off, hear what breaks their hearts and what they're doing about. Leadership today, as I always say, is tough and sometimes can feel lonely, but I'm hoping that this podcast will refresh you, guide you, and inspire you on your journey to greater purpose. Now, today's um, guest, who we're going to have some great conversation with, I know, I, I found her as I was doing my own research on, I had to do a, a, some uh, talk or speech on uh, philanthropy and volunteerism. And, you know, I have a lot of conversations with folk about that, um, particularly as uh, as we try to collaborate and work in community and get our leadership on. And I was doing this research, and I came across this um, – you know, one of the, I put in, I can't even remember the key words I put in, probably something like leadership, philanthropy, um, and one of the folk who popped up right at the top was our guest today, Ebony Johnson Cooper, and she is Chief Millennial Officer of Friends of Ebony and the founder of the Young, Black, and Giving Back. Institute. I love it. Ebony uses her research, thought, leadership, and expertise on young black philanthropy to serve as a bridge connecting 
specifically engage black millennials and nonprofit organizations. And in 2013, she released this groundbreaking research as an NYU, New York University, uh, scholar. And, and the research was entitled African American Millennials, Discovering the Next Generation of Black Philanthropy for the Effective Communication of Nonprofit Organizations. I love it. And through workshops and trainings, Ebony educates young black professionals ages 25 to 40 to strengthen their civic leadership and giving. And she's a proven social media strategist. She also has been cited by Jet Magazine as one of the nation's top 40 under 40 for her innovation around African-American millennial philanthropy. And she's been a featured speaker and guest lecturer at places like John Hopkins University, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the Independent Sectors Next Gen Fellowship Program, uh, Board Source, uh, New York University, Georgetown University, and the list goes on and on. And in her uh, philanthropic and civic leadership. She's a Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Cultural Ambassador Donor. Check that out. And she holds membership with Delta Sigma Theta and many other organizations. And she's so active. She's currently pursuing a master's in divinity, but she already holds a Master's of Science in uh, Public Relations. She is really, through her small business, Friends of Ebony, she's successfully grown her thought leadership. So we want to talk to her today about uh, the changing face of philanthropy and her thought leadership. So welcome, Ebony Johnson Cooper. How are you? I am doing well, Dr. Geneva. Thank you so much for um, for having me. I always, when I, it's always weird hearing your bio read. You're like, who's that lady they're talking about? And I'm like, oh, that's me. So that's um, right. I'm talking thank about you. Very you. Much. <laughs> <laughs> we are so um, but no, thank you. you. Know, even though I was talking about you, I want you to, to to start off. I want to start off by by you sharing a little bit more about yourself that perhaps I didn't. A cover, like letting letting us know how you know where are you from. How did you start out in this uh, career? Well, um, I started off. Um, I'm a graduate of North Carolina A&T State University. So, any Aggies out there? Um, I started off my career uh, in marketing. Actually, I worked at Viacom in New York. And after doing that for about five years, I really felt that I wanted to do more community-based work. And so I actually had the opportunity to work on the Obama campaign back in 2008. And so that's really where my career sort of took a turn. Um, and I went out to was in Ohio for a couple of months working on the campaign, and we won that. But that was my first time community organizing, if you will. Uh, but since then, I've been able to use my marketing and communication skills within the nonprofit sector. So that's what I ended up doing after the campaign, um, you know, a few bumps in the road here and there, really figuring out how I was going to leverage my existing experience within nonprofit, the nonprofit sector, 
and that ended up turning um, into being able to um, use that from a fundraising perspective. And so, um, which hence my graduate research at NYU, um, realizing that the more I worked in nonprofits, the more I started to realize that many of the people who the nonprofit was serving, our staff and board did not reflect those folks. And so I figured that probably was a problem. Um, and so that's part of the reason why my graduate research focuses on engaging with um, a diverse um, donor, volunteer, and, and board base so organizations can continue to diversify those three areas specifically. Um, and then those are what my workshops and um, conference, conferences, um, the conferences that I um, speak at and do workshops, they usually focus around um, diversity engagement um, with millennials and particularly um, African-American millennials. Uh, and so on the flip side of that, I'm working particularly with my peer group um, in helping us to understand more about what it means to be civic leaders. Um, I often found um, in spaces, whether I was a board member, whether I was a volunteer, that I was one of a handful or maybe one of one. Uh, and so I also found that to be challenging, um, not necessarily because we don't have the desire to give or, you know, we have not grown up in that way, but because perhaps these outlets aren't either made available to us or we just don't know how to get started. So through the mm -hmm. institute mm -hmm. that you mentioned earlier, um, you know, mm -hmm. we, we do both. We provide learning opportunities, engagement opportunities um, in our cohorts when we have our summits, bringing folks together who are nonprofit founders, who work in the sector, um, folks who are community activists, et cetera, uh, to really learn from one another and then learn from industry mm -hmm. experts um, and mm -hmm. seasoned folks who've been doing this for quite some time. So those are mm -hmm. sort of the two areas um, that I've ended up in from a sort of educational perspective and then also, um, I guess they're both educational, um, but two different audience groups. So, right. yeah, that's kind right. of how I ended up here. <laughs> Just phenomenal. Now, I know you're, you're, you're talking with us from uh, the East Coast, I believe, Washington, D.C., and you're in a that is university correct. setting. And so our listeners, if, if you hear conversation in the background, it's coming from a place of higher education and people are, you know, having great conversations in the background, but, but we're here if you're just joining us with our, with our terrific guest, Ebony Johnson Cooper, who is helping to change the face of philanthropy by working with black millennials. Now, now Ebony, tell me, when you were growing up, did you see yourself in, in this role? I, and, and I ask because what, what we do know that I believe is still consistent in, in the research that um, when younger people um, have the opportunity to volunteer or to give and see adults do that, they tend to also, when they get to be adults, uh, give and volunteer. Uh, as a young person, uh, were you into volunteering and philanthropy? Tell us about that. Um, you know, it's interesting. No, I definitely did not see myself in nonprofit, um, but both of my parents were social workers, so I definitely grew up in a household uh -huh. where, yes. um, mm -hmm. excuse me, where social advocacy and social welfare was talked about quite often. And now that I'm an adult, I understand more what my parents did. Um, but, yeah, I don't really think I understood fully what my parents did, except for the fact that they saved children who needed help, right? That's all I knew. Um, I mean, I would hear 
you know, industry words and things like that, you know, lots of acronyms they would use for certain things. But I remembered certain stories, you know, whether it was, you know, my father having to rescue a child whose father had put them in the oven or, you know, my mom having Mm -hmm. to go to someone's house and, like, pick up their kids because their parents weren't being responsible. So that was the, those are the types of conversations I heard growing up. Um, and then being active, you know, with, with my church and then being, you know, part uh-huh. of the community. Um, and then once I got to high school and college, whenever I would come back for the holidays, particularly Thanksgiving, we would always, um, either Sora of mine and I or a group of us, we would go, we would serve at Convent, um, Convent Avenue Baptist Church, which is a pretty historic church on 145th and Convent Avenue in Harlem. So, mm-hmm. you know, we would do things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then when I got to, particularly when I got to college, I think that's when we started to do a lot more community-based work, um, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. partly because I was, you know, ended up being part of a sorority in college. But even leading up to that, I was already community-focused, and most of that centered around mentoring the young young girls in our community and right. then um, becoming part of the chapter. We did community-based stuff. So I would say through high school and college, that's when things started to ramp up. But even, like, as a little kid, um, you know, mm-hmm. I was the kid to be like, Mom, you know, so-and-so in my class, I don't think we have Christmas gifts. Can I give? And I remember this one girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where she is in life, so I won't mention her name. But you know, I could tell like she didn't have as much as I did. So I was like, Mom, can I give her all of my dolls? You know, the little things like uh-huh. that. You know, I think that that um, you know may not necessarily be considered in a formal sense philanthropy, but I think there's always been a, a an understanding of those who have less than and recognizing the um, you know privilege that I have even as you know a, a young yeah. black girl. Um, and yeah. so those those differences for me. While a parent, they never, they never held me back from um, wanting to do more for other people or, you know, people, you know me, I've never met a stranger, you know, so those types of interactions, mm-hmm. I think, have always been helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But as a life mm-hmm. career, nope, I actually was going to be um, a doctor. <laughs> um, I was uh-huh. going on the medical track. Um, or I was yeah. going to be an actress. Like, those are my, those are my two aspirations, mm-hmm. either to be an actress or a doctor. Um, and so okay. here I am. <laughs> Doing so, doctor, <laughs> so thinking about a doctor or an actress, and so what was the aha moment? I, I remember you mentioning something about Obama administration and working, well, at least working for the campaign. Uh, so, right. So what, mm-hmm. happened, what was the aha moment that made you switch from doctor, Dr. Ebony, or uh, Ebony, the Academy Award winner, to uh, Ebony Johnson Cooper changing the face of philanthropy? Um, I would probably have to say, I think just the trajectory like of my life. When I got to college, I realized that I really don't like math and science as much as I would need to to be a doctor. Okay. Um, I had, uh-huh. you know, I had the, the, the compassionate part of being a doctor. I had the... Um, you know, even even some of the, the medical things that you needed to know because we had a special program in my high school. So I was exposed to it, but I realized that I had more of the non-technical skills needed to be an effective doctor. Um, okay. Sort of the how many years it would take to get there. So that sort of got okay. off my list um, pretty right. quickly. And then okay. as far as the actress piece, I think that's just more of a confidence thing, you know. People are like, oh, you never make money being an actress, you know. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll go into business, you know. So I think, you know, being an actress is, is not yet a dream deferred, so I still have time. Um, so that's but still on the plate. Mm-hmm. Maybe, we'll see, maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, being on the Obama campaign and then leaving, I 
wanted to work um, in the administration. Of course, like everybody who worked on the campaign, that didn't quite work. Um, but I knew that there was an opportunity to do something. And it took me a while, to be quite honest, Dr. Geneva. It took me a while to figure out how I fit into the sort of space within a nonprofit area. I did not have okay. a nonprofit background. I wasn't a public policy person being here in D.C. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes government. I'm not one of those, you know, politicos. Um, but it took me a while to figure out my niche area. And okay. I realized over time that I have a background in communi- in marketing first and then communication once I, you know, um, went to NYU. And I was like, wait a second. Like, there is a connection here. And I realized that many nonprofits don't know how to communicate well with their donors, right? Just because you are um, a development person or a fundraising person doesn't necessarily mean you have the marketing skills, um, social media skills, et cetera. These are things, obviously, social media is newer, but really knowing how to engage beyond, you know, the traditional um, the traditional spaces. So, you know, I always encourage those who have marketing backgrounds, communication backgrounds, to work for nonprofits because they're needed. You know, a fundraiser isn't a marketing person, isn't a communications person, and they're usually lumped into one area. But yeah. that so that pigeonhole that happens yeah. um, can be pretty stifling sometimes. And so when I had That's the opportunity true. to come to D.C. Um, yeah, and work for the um, Boys and Girls Club of Greater Washington as their marketing communication director. Um, that's when I got to, like, really spread my wings a little bit. Um, uh-huh. And so we ran a, a social media campaign that raised over $23,000. And, you know, that was sort of one of the first um, really exciting opportunities as a marketer in a nonprofit space. Um, and then my life took another turn. So, you know, I realized that I wanted to, to be able to not just reach one organization, but more organizations. And so that's when um, I started doing yeah. more workshops and training to be able to help, um, you know, sort of from a larger space. And so it's worked out. I mean, at my heart, I'm an educator, so I really enjoy um, teaching and training and, you know, facilitating. Um, and I realized, like, that's mm-hmm. who I am at the core. I realized that everything that I've done has been around educating. And so what expertise, do I have that I can share? Uh, So that's how I really ended up in this space versus working for one nonprofit. Right. So so you're expanding uh, your impact and your reach. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Ebony Johnson Cooper, who is working to change the face of philanthropy one millennial at a time. And she's done some... Interesting research. I want, I want to just talk about that for a moment, Ebony. Uh, tell us about your research that you did. I, I'm particularly interested in, in, uh, in um, the one or two main things that you discovered in your research about philanthropy and uh, the, the young people of today. Tell us one or two of the two things that that you discovered as you were doing this research, perhaps the thing that maybe surprised you the most? Yeah. um, So, wow. So now it's like, wow, it's four years ago. Um, So one of the things we found then um, was that for the demographic we looked at, um, that education was the number one cause area that black millennials at the time really cared about. Um, Yeah. So, that wasn't surprising. Um, 
it was helpful to know, um, but thinking about the way in which we engage, whether it's through tutoring, mentoring, um, you know, sort of college mm-hmm. aspirations, whether that's first-generation college or et cetera, we have a clear understanding that, you know, education is our way out, right? It's always been a communic- – it's always been um, a staple piece in, you know, in our, in our community. So that was one thing. Yeah. Um, and then okay. I would also say that um, – oh, that was – I believe it was 72% of those who took the survey had been involved with giving as a child. And so that really mm-hmm. had a lot mm-hmm. to do with, you know, mm-hmm. their um, aspirations to give as adults. And so yeah. um, that, yeah. in addition to a number of um, other things that we found, really helpful um, and information I still use to this day, including some other research um, that talks about millennials. But what made the research I focused on different um, was that we looked at black folks, which many of these research um, projects don't do. Mm-hmm. They may talk about money, so, so talk so, about so giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, you know, and I'm, you know, again, I, through the years, I think there is, as, I, as we mentioned earlier, through the years, I think there's been that uh, consistent finding of, you know, if you, if you give at a young age or you volunteer at a young age, uh, that, you know, that really does open up your experiences and you tend to do it when you get older. And so I'm hearing you found that in your research, uh, your more current research today. But you've also looked at, so you've looked at black millennials and you've looked at millennials in general in terms of philanthropy. What was the, what's the major difference um, between millennials uh, in, in generally millennials and African-American millennials in terms of philanthropy? Well, I would say um, there are things that make us uh, similar in terms of our desires to give and perhaps um, how often we give. But I think what really makes us different is our desire. It comes from a a different place, right? Because oftentimes the the community the community sorry that we serve look like us. So I think that there's a different incentive to make a difference. Um, and that doesn't that doesn't say sorry pause for a second. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that um, you know Caucasian or Latinos or other groups. And maybe Latinos are more similar to us than different, but. Um, I think the place, the heart in which we give um, is different because we're incentivized a little bit differently because they are communities, our cousins, our siblings, our families. And so when we think about giving and how we're going to make a difference, it's not just um, I'm just going to do this because I feel sorry for this group or I'm just going to do this because I can just throw some money or we're just not going to get some service hours. Like I, this is also anecdotal, um, but when we go into our communities. Like I've watched just as recent a couple weeks ago with the MLK um, service service day um, here in D.C. I went, um, there was a housing development and there's a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They were basically, they gutted out um, a former dwelling and they were turning it into a rec center for the kids. And so I was one of a handful. Well, actually, not take that back. There was a group of um, students from Howard, um, and then there were, um, like, I think Peace Corps um, students who were there. Yes. Um, and so then once okay. the big moving was, was all done, we had an opportunity to kind of sit down with the kids and really, like, engage uh-huh. with them. And just yes. from my, you know, observation, I could tell yes. that 
it wasn't a comfortable place for the white volunteers who were there to really engage with our kids, right? It's like, oh, I've never really been around black kids. I'm going to do it, but I don't really know how to do it. Like it's, it, it you you kind of have to see it to understand if I'm not articulating it well. Mm-hmm. But it's almost so, as if, you know, it's your first time yeah. holding a baby. You don't really know how to hold a baby, but you're just going to kind of do what you think you, you should do, um, you know, whereas, you know, there are kids. So, like, you know, sit right. down and do what we say. You know, it's, it's just a different type of engagement. So um, I would so, say the so biggest difference is probably just. I think what I'm, mm-hmm. so I think what I'm hearing you say, Ebony, that your observation was that um, there perhaps was more of an uh, empathy or ability to relate to the population that was being served, not only in this instance, but also what you found in your research, which is which is very very interesting. Now let me ask you: Did as you looked at um, philanthropy and giving patterns of millennials generally, African Americans specifically, um, I want to kind of switch your hat, put your put your entrepreneur hat on, because you do have your own company, um, Friends of Ebony. And as an entrepreneur, how important is philanthropy? I mean, when you're running a business, when you're trying to day-to-day grind out that business and got your eyes focused on the bottom line or making a profit, which is real, um, how, how does philanthropy play in? I mean, do you have time to volunteer or to give? So how does that work? Is it important for an entrepreneur um, to to be a philanthropist as well? You know, I always think that um, um, there are many okay. companies who require it um, of their businesses, um, and particularly lots of startups, those particularly who um, have younger founders, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to do a day yes. of giving, um, or they're large corporations, yes. um, you yes. know, whether it's J.P. Morgan or Viacom, and that's great that they require it because they are community-centric. But I think as an entrepreneur, because I have more control over my time, um, mm-hmm. it's a personal decision. And whether that means I choose to only volunteer on big volunteer days or I tap my giving into my financial dollars because I have less time to give. So I make sure that for me, now that I have less time because I, you know, am building my business, you know, executive directing the Institute and I'm in seminary full time, like that doesn't really leave a lot of time um, to show up physically. But what I can do is make sure that the resources, financial resources that I resources, excuse me, that I have are being funneled in the right way that I, you know, that I've been mm-hmm. led to commit to. Um, and so that's that's what I do um, at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When I can show mm-hmm. up and be present, um, I do. Mm-hmm. And then if there are outlets, you know, like through the institute where. Um, we can maybe put together a service project or there's something else going on in the city that I can tap into probably, um, you know, and I have a mentee, which I don't necessarily see mentoring as like volunteer hours, but, you know, you're pouring into someone else. Um, and list little things, thinking about, you know, what someone did for me when I was an undergrad so or when I was in grad school, you know, exactly. like having breakfast with someone, you know, who's like, oh, I just want to know about this program at Georgetown. You're like, all right, cool, mm-hmm. you know, do I really mm-hmm. have time to do it? No. But is it important because I think about somebody who did it for me? Yes. So you make the time. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I think, and I think it's you know, that's very, I think you do it. 
yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. interesting. You so so again, I'm thinking that I'm hearing you say, yes, yeah, an entrepreneur. One of the ways to you know continue to keep your eyes focused on that business is that you can in fact financially contribute. Uh, to causes, maybe not as much as being able to volunteer um, for for everything because of the time, but certainly writing a check, uh, of course, personal decisions, but writing a check as an entrepreneur um, is something that is important to do as well. Absolutely. And then when, you know, I always encourage organizations when I do trainings, um, you know, find ways that you can engage your younger donors um, that makes it easier to give. So breaking it down, um, which is why um, I applaud a thousand times over the the Museum of African American History and Culture because they made giving easier for um, the 25 or under 40 population. You know, you had different yes. tiers to give, um, yes, from 5,000 up to 25,000, and you didn't have to give it, you know, at one time. You had up to five years to give it, right? So it made it very, very yes. easy when you think, like, oh, that's just that's 80 right. bucks a month or 100 bucks a month. Right. You know, it made giving easy. And so, again, as a changing landscape of economics, demographics, yes. I think more nonprofits need to consider those easier ways to give, particularly for different um, when I think about organizations and how they can give and and what's important um, to them. It's like, look, are you going to keep going after these, you know, top dollar donors who are going to die out very soon? Or are you going to start to adapt to younger donors who you can start to, you know, cultivate? Uh Uh-huh. Let me just say in our, you know, few seconds that are remaining, this has been a phenomenal conversation. And I do want to have you back because I think you raised some really key important issues. Um, And you're doing some phenomenal work. And I think our audience particularly needs to hear it, particularly as we talk about entrepreneurship and, and those that have and how they can give. And so, I just want to thank you again, Ebony Johnson Cooper, as you change the face of philanthropy one millennial at a time. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Geneva. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you for having the platform to share. Thank you. We love having you. And again, join us. Check out my website, Dr. Thanks for tuning in to Dr. Geneva Speaks. Dr. Geneva Williams, an expert facilitator and leadership coach, lecturer, and keynote speaker. For more information on Dr. Geneva, visit her online at www.drgenevaspeaks.com. That's drgenevaspeaks.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.